Good morning. Happy Valentine's Day to you all, and I and, uh, hope you guys enjoy your day today. I got dressed up for you guys because you guys are my date for this whole day. Um, so I brought you guys something. There's actually going to be communion crackers for everybody and wine for everyone who trusts in Jesus. And so that's for you. That's for you. All right. Hey, uh, a couple of things before we jump into our series. Um, one is we are going to be... Uh, we're, excuse me, we're in the season of Lent, and if you're not familiar with Lent, Lent is this time where there's 46 days, which we call 40 days because we don't count Sundays uh, when we gather together, and it started last Wednesday on Ash Wednesday, and we take this season to remind ourselves ultimately of the death and the resurrection of Jesus as we lead towards Easter, and so there's a few things that we do as a part of this, um, but as a community, what we're asking everybody is that you would pray an hour a day right? An hour a day, whether that's 10 minutes at a time, five minutes at a time, and that you would include people in your life into it. So it's not something that's just hugely individualistic. That you could text some friends for their prayers and be on a text thread or a group me or whatever text stuff that you guys have invented and so forth, but be able to go before the Lord uh, and pray on behalf of our community, our city, and our, and our world and so forth. And so we want to make sure you encourage you to do that. Also, we take a day of the week to fast. That's sun up to sundown that we fast from something. Um, if you're not familiar with fasting, and this is something that you've never done or you've never heard of one, I encourage it. Um, and we will have resources online this week if you go to redemptionaz.com to find out biblically what that looks like. And so one of our pastors, Benjamin Jensen, will be uh, writing something that will be online um, this week for, for that. Also, on the 28th, when we change service times, uh, we are starting a new series in a series called Bless, in which we're going to look at some actions in which we as a church participate in and how we can grow in them. That's giving, serving, and gathering. It's going to be three weeks um, just before we have a Palm Sunday service. Um, after Palm Sunday, we will have the Holy Week. And Holy Week, um, what is called Maundy Thursday, we're going to have a Seder dinner. If some of you guys are familiar with that, we're going to do that here and have a lot of fun doing that. And then we'll have our normal Good Friday service, and then we'll roll into Easter. Um, and so that's kind of the plan of where we're going over the next 40 days in terms of when we, when we gather. And so looking forward uh, to that. All right, if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and meet me in Judges chapter 13. We have a lot of scripture to cover this morning. Uh, we are looking at Judges chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 in about 30 six minutes. And so we're going to try to get this going. So turn there as fast as you can. If you don't have a Bible, why don't you raise your hand, keep it raised really high. And then one of the ushers will walk down your aisle or enter into your cubby holes back there uh, and get you a copy of God's word. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep the one that we're handing out. It is our gift to you so that you can grow in an understanding and a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so Given that it's Valentine's Day, um, I'm, I'm supposed to give you some sort of encouragement um, or something, but I, I just have to let you know, I'm like the worst Valentine's Day person ever, right? Like, I'm not a really romantic person, and, and not because I'm macho or whatever. I'm just not good, right? You just got to acknowledge your weaknesses, and that's just not me. Like, I don't write poems. I write raps, but I don't write poems <laughs> and things like that, right? So... Yesterday, I did get flowers for my wife, which is the first time I've gotten flowers for my wife, I believe, uh, since we've been married for almost nine years. And uh, don't, don't, oh, uh, right? Right? Go, you waste your money, okay? Um, and uh, all right, she knows what a flower looks like. <laughs> no, no, no. We, 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 what? See, I told you I'm bad. You guys are I'm bad, right? I got them yesterday. Before you, like, have you gotten flowers today? I'm just saying, she got them yesterday. So there's... There's that. And so I have my two worst moments of, of Valentine's that I will share with you guys. The first one was when I was in college. Um, and there was this girl. This is pre-Jesus. Let me just throw that disclaimer out there. Uh, 
So anything goes. So there's, there was this girl who liked me that I didn't necessarily like her, um, but she baked me this cookie that said Happy Valentine's Day, and she gave it to me. I was like, oh, thanks for the cookie. Put it away. No big deal. And then I was supposed to go out that night uh, with, uh, with my girlfriend. <laughs> and uh, my, my girlfriend was going to say, I got you something. I hope you got me something. I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? I got this cookie. <laughs> so I took <laughs> so I took the cookie and I gave it to her. I was like, hey, I got you this cookie. She's like, did you bake this cookie? Yeah. No, you did. Yes, I did. Should you bake? Yes, I did. She goes, how did you bake it? And I don't want to bake a cookie. So I was like, oh, oh, okay. Now you're questioning my, you know what? Forget it. You know what? Let's just not even go out. If you're going to go like, if you're going to be like that and you can't accept, you know what I mean? My cookie, right? I wrote happy Valentine's Day on there for you. She goes, not even your writing. I'm like, because I did it in love. So there's. That was one. The next one was way worse um, because this actually involved someone I loved and I still do love, my wife. So we were dating for some time, you know, like a good Christian long, and, you know, dating. We were dating for eight months and, uh, and it was time for me to get to propose to her. And that's no pressure on any of you guys that have been dating longer than that. I'm, I'm, she doesn't care. Trust me. And so there's, 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 um, Valentine's Day was coming up, and we had already talked about getting married and all those things, and, and I knew that Holly was expecting a proposal on Valentine's Day. And the fact that she was expecting it, in my mind, for some reason, thought I should fake one. I would love to say this is pre-Jesus, but it wasn't. <laughs> and and uh, uh, long story short, not to bore you with the details, I faked it. It didn't go well. She hated it. Um, and, um, and I came over the next day, like at 5.30 in the morning, dropped on bended knee, got real boys and men-like, and, uh, and we've been married almost nine years. So we've been, yeah. And, uh, and I got flowers yesterday, so we are, uh, we're on our way. Now, I'll say all that, long way to just say this. If someone like me, as unromantic as I am, could land a spouse... Those of you who are, who are not married and want to be married, you should be thinking, if he could do it, so could I, right? That, that's all I want. I want you to be thinking about that. Now, here's why. Because we're going to look at the story of Samson this morning, and it's a lot that we're going to cover. And all I want you to be thinking is, if God could work through Samson, he could work through me. Like the whole, if, if God can use this guy, then, then God can use me. If God can, can put his name in the hall of faith, then maybe my marriage, maybe my parenting, maybe my singleness, maybe my work, whatever it may be, then get, would God be able to do that in me? And so that's what we'll be able to look at. Um, if you grew up around church at some moment and you were a boy, especially Samson was like put up as this hero. I'm sorry to burst that bubble. Samson's horrible, right? And, and, and yet God works through him. And so we're going to look at that this morning and so if you're with me, chapter 13, verse 1, and it says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And so you've heard that phrase before. That's been the refrain. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Like if Judges was a song, like that would be the chorus. Like here's the chorus. Oh, and the people, like it would just go in that, that moment right there. Seventh time so far and the last time that that's happened. And we have this cycle here that we've been looking at every week of how this usually works. Um, it says, first, there's sin. They do what's evil in the sight of the Lord. And then God will allow an oppressor to come in and oppress them. In this case, it's the Philistines. 
And then they would cry out to God, and there would be a judge, and then there would be salvation, and there would be rest. However, none of that really happens here through the story of Samson. Samson chronologically is the last judge that we're going to look at. In fact, just a caveat for next week. Next week, if you are used to bringing your children into the service, I would ask that you do not bring your children into the service. Check them in. Um, it's, the, it's the darkest moment of judges, and there's a lot of language and graphic things that, that we're not going to pass over, um, that we're going to teach, and it's going to be very sober for all of us, me included. So, so don't, don't bring your kids next week. Um, if you can't handle that, check yourself in the children's ministry. They'd love to have you. Um, but just, 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 just FYI. So last judge here. And then chapter 13, which will paraphrase most of it, is, is, is the, the beginning of Samson. And so what happens here in verse 2, it says, There was a certain man named, man named Zorah of the tribe of Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said, Behold, you are barren and have not born children. She's like, I know this already, right? I didn't need God to come and tell me this, right? But he has more for her. But you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful to drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So here's what's happening. God shows up to this woman, very obscure, how God does. This woman um, doesn't even have a name. We don't even know her name. That doesn't mention it. That it, it shows up first. It says her husband's name was his Manoah, which is side note. I always think the Hebrew people and the black people, we are, we are alike. Uh, because we like to put um, prefixes in front of our names. It's not just Noah, it's Manoah, right? We relate to them. And I know eight of you guys get exactly what I'm talking about here. So there's, there's, there's by the way, never mind, we're going to keep right here. Is, so you have Manoah, but you don't know, you don't know his, his uh, wife's name, but we know she's barren and she doesn't have a child. And the angel of the Lord comes and said, you're going to be with the child. And this has happened throughout scripture. You're going to get a child, and this particular child is going to be special. I mean, he's going to be set aside from the Lord. I don't want you to have strong drink. I don't want you to do any of that. Here's why. Not because it just affects your pregnancy, because this child is going to have the Nazarite vow. And most of us are going, we don't even know what the Nazarite vow is. In Numbers chapter 6, in the first 21 verses, what you have are stipulations on what is this vow. And usually it was a period of time that people would make a vow towards the Lord to have a focused intention on who God is. Now, during this, there was at least three big things. You would not cut your hair or shave your beard. Um, you would not have strong drink or drink from wine. And you wouldn't touch anything dead. And so they make sure this child from the very beginning is going to have a lifestyle of this Nazarite vow. He's going to be dedicated and have a focus wholly on the Lord. At least that was the intentions. And so the, the, the angel comes to the woman. She's excited. Can you just imagine her position? I mean, how long they've tried to have children and have not been able to have children. And God shows up and says, you're going to have a child and not just any child. Your child's going to do big things, right? Everybody thinks their child's going to do big things. They're not. Um, her kids are, right? Her kids are, like her son is. Well, imagine trying to tell that to your husband. Hey, Manoah, what you been doing? Nothing, what you been doing? Oh, no. and the angel showed up and we're going to have a baby, right? Can you imagine Manoah being like, girl, please, right? But it's true. And then he begins to cry out to the Lord in verse 8 here. And he prays to the Lord that this man would come back and show him what he's supposed to do. It says in, in verse 9, it says, And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God be, came, and began, or came again to the woman. And she said in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man came to me 
the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, are you the man who spoke with this woman? Which, because Valentine's Day, I'm going to keep giving relational tidbits. When you're talking about your wife, you probably should not refer to her as this woman. Um, the Bible, a lot of times, especially in the Old Testament, is, is um, descriptive, meaning it's what happened. It's not prescriptive of what you should do. If you today start talking about your wife, oh, this woman, you might get um, hands laid on you <laughs> in the name of Jesus. So just remember that. Verse 10. So the woman ran quickly, began to talk to her husband. And then he says this in verse 12. He said, now when your words come true, what is to be this child's manner of life? And what is his mission? He's like, how do we raise this kid? Every parent begins to ask those questions. We've probably had more births here in this church in the last six months. Our next baby dedication is going to be ridiculous. We're going to have kids hanging out of the walls and so forth, right? We're going to try to figure that out. Um, When you have kids, all of a sudden you begin to go, Lord, what do you want me to do with these kids? Some of you are here, you never even trusted in Jesus, right? You don't even know if you're really into this whole God thing, but you have this kid and you're going, ah, like, I don't know what to do. We think we know how to be married and we're cool, but then we have kids, we go, Lord, what am I to do? And he's saying, will you just tell me what is this kid's mission? And he never gives them explicit information. Let me just say this. God is not going to give you explicit information. Some of you, he may show up in an angel and he may actually just tell you, this is exactly what I want you to do. But he gives us his word He gives us the character, and we understand, and we get a framework for parenting. But if you're looking for questions of, do I homeschool, Christian school, Montessori school, what do I do? You're going to have to come up with that decision in light of his character and and, and his word. He does not going to give you something explicit for that. Most of us would rather for God to give us all the rules so we can know how to check the box. And God goes, no, it's going to have to be rely upon faith. And so that doesn't happen to him. And he goes, okay, well, what can I do to him? And he goes, he says, "Um, angel. Can I, can I cook a goat for you? And the angel's like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not even really in the, no, I'm not going to eat a goat. But here's what you can do. He says, what you could do is you could take it something, you can sacrifice it as praise of the Lord. And he sends a sacrifice that praise of the Lord. And as the smoke goes up, it says the angel of the Lord disappeared. And we pick back up here in verse 24 and it says, and the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. So we have this picture of the beginning of Samson. That Samson is a man who God began to choose before. So far, none of the judges were like this. Every time the people of Israel would cry out to God, which, by the way, they did not cry out to God, which shows that God acts in grace before we even begin to speak to him. But every other time, there's already been an adult, and they used a woman like Deborah or Barak or so forth or Ehud or Othniel. But now God begins to work early, before the child's even born. And now we have Samson, and what you would think from here is that here is this, this kid who has a Nazarite vow, who God has already worked upon his family, is already at work in his life, the spirit is stirring up in him, that, that this is going to be good, like this guy's going to do great things, this is going to be the man of God, like this is the type of man you want to be like, this type of man you want to date, you want to marry, you want your husband to be like, like this guy. However, we start off in chapter 14, and it's not at all. It, the Bible doesn't give us an account of how he was raised or, it, it, you know, if he had a p- attachment parenting or if he, if, he, if he read Baby Wise or not. We have no idea, right? We don't know. He did, we don't know the books that he read or his parents read. We know this, though. He is beginning to stray away from having his focus fixed and his eyes fixed upon the author and protector of our faith, who is the Lord. Verse four, chapter 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. 
And he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Tema. Now get her for me as my wife. Um, uh, Yeah. (laughs) So, and that day, you would at least have a father who would go and find a bride for his son. Um, Samson is so bold that he goes, he sees somebody and goes, Dad, I saw somebody want to be with you, be with me. Um, why don't you go get her and bring her to me? But she's of the Philistines. Remember the Philistines are the people who have been ruling over them, torturing them for the last 40 years? So these are their enemies. And I know sometimes it's hard for us to think like this, but, but they're not supposed to be with them, right? Point blank, you're not supposed to be with them. And his parents begin to say, whoa, like, Samson, like, wait a minute. Like, years ago, we remember God like calling you to do all these things, and you're actually supposed to free us from these people, not marry them. And, and, and actually, you're not supposed to marry outside of this covenant community. Now, l- let, me, let me pause here for a second, because what comes up here sometimes is the thought that somehow God is against um, interracial, biracial relationships. Um, there have been people in the church, um, one of which I had a conversation with, who doesn't go to this church, um, but another church that I used to go to, um, tried to explain to me why God is against this through the Old, Old Testament. He said, you see, the Israelites were not supposed to marry the Canaanites and so forth. That had nothing to do with race and had everything to do with God's grace. It had everything to do with your particular worldview and how you view the world in light of who God is and his character. Paul picks up this theme in Corinthians when he says, do not be unequally yoked. It means do not be binded in a relationship. Do not be bound with one another that is unequal. Not that you're better and they're worse. That's not unequal, meaning that you're not walking along the same path. And the the strongest bond that we could possibly understand or know, I I wouldn't even say understand. Even Paul, after he talks about marriage, goes, "Eh, it's a mystery, right? And all of us go, amen, right? And so there's there's this strongest bond that you have. And he said, when that happens, you should be with someone who, if you're a follower of Jesus, who loves Jesus and does things in light of the relationship that he or she has with Jesus. That, that you should be with someone who has the same worldview. If you're Hindu, you should be probably with someone who's, who's Hindu or Muslim. That, that in terms of that, it's a covenant of people that you're with, okay? has nothing to do with that. And I know some of you will, one, last, last hour, as soon as I, had, I said that, I saw a couple get up and leave. In my head, I'm going, dang, what did I say? The guy who I happened to know just hung out with them, texted me and said, hey, I know you saw us get up and leave. Um, my wife's water broke. We had to go to the hospital. <laughs> and I said, that's good preaching right there. I've never done that before in my life. No. <laughs> so, so, so I understand that when we hear that, that's hard because some of us are in those relationships and you're like, what are you saying? What are you saying? Um, here, here's what happens in that. What happens is this, and I grew up in a family like this where my dad was not a follower of Jesus. My mom was. What happens is one, if the person who loves Jesus, you will have to do one or two things. Either you will try to force the person who you love into your religion which our friends who are not Christians, they're right about this. When they say you cannot force your religion on me, they're right. It's something that we come to know God. And they will, they will, that you, will, you will force your boyfriend, whatever it is, to, to, to become like you are because they love you. And really they love you, and so they're kind of doing that thing for you. And they may respect your faith, but and so forth. Or what happens is you're supposed to live out of this, this relationship that you have with God, this understanding of who God is in this world. And, and, and if you're with someone you also love, you begin to put the dimmer switch on your faith in Jesus at some point. At some point, this one whom you're supposed to share the whole world with, you cannot share the most important relationship with, and that is a relationship with Jesus. 
I don't think it's fair when we as Christians enter into relationships with people because what ends up happening is they hear your Christian friends say, hey, I don't know if you should be with them. And they go, oh, I don't like your friends. I don't like the church. And they get mad at the church for being giving you wisdom when it's really on you who kind of put them in that situation. Now, I, I, some of you are going, oh, stop, stop, go on. There's more to go, right? And um, don't leave. Just call those for help. And let's walk, let's, 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 everything's a journey. Let's walk alongside that, right? And those of you who are married and you're going, I'm married to someone who's not a Christian, stay married. Because Paul says, to those of you already married, stay married, right? Stay married. And then there's some of you who are dating going, well, I know somebody where they got married and um, their person, their, their spouse wasn't a Christian. And then that's what God did to save them. I know people who, who met Jesus from smoking weed. We're not going to hand out joints as a plan of evangelism, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, dang it, <laughs> right? So there's, 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 we, we, we understand that, all right? So had to go there, had to give some more relational advice, all right, from the scriptures. So what happens is God, as he often does, he even worked things out for the good that we actually do that are evil. Verse four lets us know this. His father, speaking of Samson and mother, did not know that it was from the Lord. For he, speaking of God, was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. And at the time, the Philistines ruled over Israel, Israel, meaning God was saying, even through his disobedience, I'm going to work. Because God often does that. Well, as we continue to understand the story of Samson, the next story seems um, meaningless, yet it's amazing, is that Samson, it says that he went down to his... Um, with his father and his mother, and they brought the woman in. Um, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, by the way, and, and a lion had come by, and although he had nothing in his hand, it says that he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a goat, a young goat, right? So you know, you know what it's like when you tear up a young goat, right? And so <laughs> it says that Samson, right? The, Samson just tore up on a lion, right? So clearly he's very strong. And after days went by, it says he came by and he saw that same lion and there was honey in it and he ate it and he fed his parents. You go, why does that matter? Because he has a Nazarite vow. He's not supposed to touch something dead, let alone eat from something dead. Do you see, this is how we, this is how we are. We start with our eyes on the Lord and then we eventually start taking steps and steps away from him. We, we, we may still have an eye on the Lord, we have our eyes on something else, and it begins to capture our affections. And what you begin to see in Samson, he begins to stray more and more away from the Lord. Well, they have a feast for him and his bride. And in this feast, they're, they're given to him. The Philistines, they give him 30 companions. That means 30 friends. They just give him friends. Why? I don't know. 30 friends. And he goes, I want you guys to answer this riddle. He goes, if you can answer this riddle, I will give you 30 changes of clothes. But if you can't answer the riddle in seven days, you have to give me 30 changes of clothes. And so they can't answer the riddle. And about the fourth day, they go to his wife and they said, hey, um, we can't do this. We're going to kill you if you don't um, ultimately give us the answer. So she goes and she boos up uh, um, Samson and Samson gives her the answer. And they come back and they answer the riddle. And here's what Samson says in in verse 18. It says, and the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Okay. Another just a piece of advice. <laughs> Do I even need the, you guys know. Don't, don't call your wife, your girl, your boo, whatever, heifer. That never goes, that's never gone well, actually. In fact, the rest of this doesn't go well either. And it says, and then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And you know what he does? He goes out. He goes, I got to get you guys jackets and clothes. He goes out, kills 30 people. And he goes, here's your jackets. And then he goes home. He's in his first week of marriage. 
Now, like only in the Bible, not in real life, that in your first week of marriage that you actually get in a fight. Like no one gets in a fight in marriage in Christian marriages. Only in the Bible does this happen, right? Like anybody here ever been in a fight with your, with your wife or your husband? Right, nobody. <laughs> and you can confess your sins at communion and, and, and take that because take that, you all lied. So there's a fight. He runs back to his father's house and he's angry. And we all get angry and we all get in fights. Now, we don't all kill 30 people. But, but he did. And at some moment in his head, he probably thought, you know, I need to go back and reconcile things with my wife. And that's what he's going to do. But what he didn't know is that verse 20 happened. It says, and Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best friend. That means he left and her dad was like, you know what? He's gone. Marry his best man. And she married him. Um, in ancient Near East culture, in uh, modern culture, in every culture, if your wife leaves you for the best man, it's always bad. You don't, have to, you don't need that in Hebrew. You don't need it in Greek. It's just a code, right? That, that, that's not a good thing. Well, he's thinking he's going to come back and get his wife. First, chapter 15, verse 1. After some days at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. I love that. Like in our day and age, if we're going to go back, you know, we're going to have some flowers, a nice bottle of, of wine, water, water. And, um, and we're going to have you know, something to say, I'm sorry. He comes with a goat, right? Can you imagine that, knocking the door? Oh, it's Samson. Yeah, I got this goat for you, girl. Like, I know I killed those 30 people, and I left. That happens, I know. But I got this goat, right? I don't know what that, what that does for them. Well, then he's, 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 uh, he's, he's shocked at what happens next. Verse 2. It's a, in the latter part of verse 1, it says, But her father would not allow him to go in, and her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Um, please take her instead. Dads, don't do that. <laughs> so Samson went and caught, this is what he did, 300 foxes and took torches, and he turned, he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set the fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain at the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So Sam- Samson's upset. And the way that he goes out in his anger is he takes foxes and he burns their tails up and then he has them go out to burn all their, their, their stock and their livestock and, and all their food and so forth. And so a little vindictive. And so he's, 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 he's upset at this moment, right? Um, Samson, right? Like you got to be thinking, this is God's guy. Let me just pause here for a second. Like this is God's guy. Like when you fast forward in scriptures and you go to Hebrews and you read, you read like the letter of, of Hebrews that says, okay, these people are known in the hall of faith. Like they had faith. Samson's name's in there. The fox torching guy, right? The guy, the the guy who killed 30 people for their bomber jackets, right? Like that, that guy, that starter jackets, wherever you come from, right? Um, that's, that's this guy. And it doesn't stop here because since now what happens next is he goes and he kind of lives in a rock and the, the Philistine, Philistines are upset. They go to the people of Judah and they said, we need to kill Samson. We need to take him out. And then the people of Judah who were supposed to be the strong people, remember in chapter one, they were the first people who actually went to fight and did what God asked them to do. And now they're spineless. They go to him and they say, we're not going to fight with you. We need to give you up. And then Samson says, whatever, just, I don't want you to kill me. 
And then they say these words here in in verse 13. They said to him, no, 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 no. We will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. We're just going to bind you up so that they can kill you, right? And they bind them up and they take them to the Philistines. But what happens again is the spirit of the Lord rushes upon them. Verse 14, and when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. And then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught on fire. And his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it. And with it, he struck down a thousand men. Right? Only in Samson's life can this happen, right? Samson all of a sudden is rushed by the spirit of the Lord. He flexes, breaks himself loose, and like, oh, There's dentures of a donkey on the ground, right? He picks up the donkey and then just takes a thousand men out. Like I've done 200 men before, but I've never, I've never done a thousand, right? He's a thousand men. He takes them out. And when he's done, he writes a poem and it goes a little something like this. With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a thousand men. Happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) For the first time... (laughs) For the first time in Samson's life, or so that we see recorded here, is he actually cries out to the Lord. But he doesn't cry out to the Lord for forgiveness or help or mercy. He actually cries out for water. He's thirsty. And it would be just like our God to give him water. And why is that significant? Because so far, there's, there, Samson has not lived up to his vow. Samson, Samson is not truly delivering God's people. Samson, Samson is very vindictive. He's an angry man who's led by his passion and oftentimes just ultimately his sexual drive. And we're going to continue to see. And yet God provides for him. Here's what you need to know. Just because God gives you gifts doesn't mean that you're fruitful. Just because you can communicate God's word, just because you have abilities, just because you have talents, doesn't mean that you have an abiding relationship with Jesus. There's a difference between gifts and fruits. Because when you have gifts, people may experience it. They may like it, the way you serve or the way that you handle things, the way that you you live your life. Externally, it may be all good, but it doesn't mean that it's producing fruit. It doesn't mean that when you stand before the Lord that there's an abiding relationship that you have with him, that you're saturated with prayer and love. Like even when Paul talks about gifts, he talks about how people can speak in certain ways and they can serve in certain ways. He goes, but you know what it's like? It's like clanging gongs. It's like me trying to play the drums. It makes no sense because you don't have love. We have Samson here. He has the gifts and you go, well, the spirit is upon him. Let this be a warning that you could be a follower of Jesus and you could be fruitless right now in your life. That when we see Samson, you go, well, he's a man of God. He might have a profession of faith, but his heart right now was not geared towards the Lord. He's using all of his gifts for himself. And, and all of us are guilty of that. All of us are guilty, and all of us should take that as a heed of a warning in our own lives. Well, Samson goes from here, and he doesn't stop. In fact, what we begin to see at the beginning of chapter 16 is that he goes to Gaza, chapter, one, or chapter 16, verse 1. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. And the, Gaz- the Gazites were told, is, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. Well, what happens is he rips off the gates and carries them onto the top of a hill, which is incredible, but I don't know what, what it has to do with this. And so you, you have him... Now with the prostitute, then with that prostitute, and now he sets his eyes on what is the love of his life. Um, Verse 4. After this, 
he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Which I, I love that somehow Samson and Delilah landed on Valentine's Day. Um, and what we have is, so far, the women who were mentioned in the Samson story that have not been mentioned by name. You notice that? Like his mom didn't have a name. Or she had a name, but they didn't record it. Um, his first wife, did, we didn't know her name. The prostitute, we don't know her name. But now we have Delilah. I think Delilah was, you know, you know how, like, there's always that one person who will always have your heart, right? Spoken by um, Ursher. Um, <laughs> I believe this is his boo, right? And Delilah and Samson have that relationship that we've all been in and know that it's not good. Um, it's the relationship where we use the other person for our own gain. Right. This may not all the time. This may show itself in the guy who wants to be with the really beautiful woman because he wants to be known as the guy with the really beautiful woman. So people say, that's your girl. Yeah, that's my girl. That's me right there. That's me right there. Right. Like it somehow makes you feel good about yourself or, or on the flip side, you have the girls. And I'm not saying all the girls, but some of you, um, the, the girls that's trying to be interested into the guy who's got the promising career. I'm not saying she's a gold digger. I'm just saying that like she's, she's interested in, in the guy with the promising career. And so you have this relationship where there's something about you that makes it better for me. And there's something about me that makes it better for you. And there's this kind of using each other where Samson and Delilah had that where Samson wants, wants intimacy or probably sexual things. And, and also maybe a little bit of danger because Delilah, she's a bad girl. And then Delilah, Delilah wants money and prestige because what happens is the Lords, the people who are running the Philistines, they come to her and said, Hey, we need to take Samson out. And she's like, but that's my, that's my, that's my guy. Like I would never do anything. And she goes, we're going to give you money. Okay. What you need? What do you, what do you, what do you need? Right. And so each of us, she's like, we're going to give you 1100 pieces of silver. She goes, I got this. Don't even worry about it. So she seduces him, this woman, Delilah. Anybody in here named Delilah? That's good. It was kind of like the same thing. Anybody here in it, like four people raised their hand, like, dang it. Right. And she goes, we love you guys. You guys make everything work. And so there's, there's, there's this sense now where Delilah's like, I'm going to trick you. So she tries, she goes, hey, baby, like, can you just tell me what is it that makes you strong? And then he tells her a lie. And then she does it. She goes, wake up, Samson. Guess what? The Philistines are here. And he beats them up. Does it again. Same thing. Tells her another lie. She goes, wake up. The Philistines are here. Beats them up again. Right? At this point, if you're Samson, what are you doing? Right? But we all know people like that who are just attracted to a little bit of crazy, right? There's always that friend who is with that girl that you go, you know she's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she almost stabbed me. <laughs> I love her, right? <laughs> um, you get blinded. You get blinded. Third time, same thing. Samson, wake up. The Philistines are here. He wakes up, beats him up. So now we have here, she's upset. Um, he's not upset some reason, but she's upset. Verse 15 in chapter 16 says, and she said to him, how can you say, I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Okay. I want you to raise your hand. How many of us have put ourselves in position 
we've forsaken our first love in God because of some sort of pleasure that we were, we were seeking. How many of us have been in a relationship, whether it was with a Christian or not, that we put ourselves in physical situations because maybe we wanted something more emotional? How many of us have faked something emotional because we wanted something physical? We're not unlike Samson. Sometimes we get in relationships that are not healthy relationships, and we get so deep into these relationships that we can't see what reality is. That Samson now gives up the one thing that he has, the thing that has set him apart, that God has given him since birth, the stirring of the spirit in his life. Ultimately, for this relationship with someone he cannot see clearly, that is not good for him. Now, I'm not, this is not a, oh, go break it with my boyfriend message. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying all of us have been there, that we can get blinded in our eyes, that we think that what's before us is it. And what happens is Samson shows us that oftentimes we were more led by our pleasures than we are by our purpose. That ultimately we are led more by our feelings than what is concrete in our faith. And so he tells her. And she goes, all right, thank you. And says that he, lay, she, he falls asleep on her lap and then she cuts his hair. And then she invites the Philistines and she goes, Samson, wake up. The Philistines are here. And he thinks, I'm going to go back as I had before. And yet they take him down. They don't just take him down. They gouge out his eyes. And they're excited now. This woman didn't love him. Like, he, they didn't, she didn't love him. She loved herself. And really, he didn't love her. He loved himself. A relationship is not we enter into it and see what we can get out of a relationship. A true relationship is what can I give the other person and my greatest joy will be serving you. We see that because that's born of the gospel, that God did not look at us and go, what can I get out of these people? What ultimately, what can I give and how can I serve? The son of man did not come into this world to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for the many, those who would love him. So finally, the people of the Philistines, they have their guy. They got Samson. They got him captured. And they're throwing a party to their God, Dagon. And they're, they're happy because they're saying Dagon is the one who's defeated Samson. Really, Samson defeated Samson. He's the one who gave himself up. What we have here, it says that the Lord left him. Left him. And I don't think the Lord left him permanently. And we can say, wait a minute, I thought the Lord never leaves nor forsake. The question is, were we ever with him? Do we love him? Or do we find ourselves not just using people? Do we find ourselves using God? Here's how you can tell sometimes. Is your prayer life only petitions? God, can you? God, will you? God, could you? As opposed to God, you are, you are, you are. You are beautiful. You are majestic. You are glorious. You are gracious. That, that our prayer lives consist of adoration or only just needs. And, and hear me, I'm not saying that we don't pray for needs. Jesus says we have not because we ask not. We should, we should be praying for our own needs, for the people in our family and our communities and so forth. But do we worship him for who he is? Are we delighted in him just in his character? Or are we only delighted in him for what he can do and the way he makes us feel, the way he makes us look? I, I don't know what was clearly happened in, in Samson's life, but I do know this. I don't know if this was just completely God turning away from him because clearly earlier he had already turned away from God. But, but God doesn't quit on his people. What we have at the very end of this story is that Samson himself is now brought in to entertain. They're making a mockery of him. And he comes in and he, and he, and he tells one of the servant guys who's taking him where he needs to go because he can't see. And he goes, hey, will you put me next to the pillars that's holding this room up? Um, so that I can rest on it. And he cries out to the Lord. And I believe this is actually the best act in the act of faith in his life. Verse 28, it says this, And Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord, God, please remember me 
and please strengthen me only this once. O oh God, that I may, I may be avenged by the Philistines for my two eyes. And maybe some commentaries would say that, you know, it, he's not being faithful here. He just won't avenge his eyes. But it's the first time he cries out to the Lord. It's the first time, and not just for water, but he also says the word Adonai, which is the true Lord. And he uses the language of God of covenant, the relational covenantal God who never leaves nor forsakes his people. That I think he's renewing his covenant. I believe the reason why we read in Hebrews chapter 11 of Samson is not because of the previous things that we saw, but because of this act of faith. Sometimes that bothers us. If you're a natural do-gooder and you just, you've been towing the line your whole life and you find out that somebody else gets in and they've had this life like Samson, you're mad at that. You know why? You don't really get grace. Grace is not God saying, I'm only going to help those who help themselves. Grace is God saying, I'm going to save and help those who acknowledge they can't help themselves. Those are the people that I use. That's what we've seen in scripture after scripture. And then Samson gives us this beautiful picture of that. And, I, and, and, and we conclude with, with Samson and understanding his life is that God rushes upon him. He pushes the pillars and he takes out the people and God begins the work of salvation. He does not complete it through Samson. You know why? God was never going to complete it through Othiniel. He wasn't going to complete it through Ehud. He wasn't going to complete it through Deborah. He wasn't going to complete it through Samson. We know that ultimately salvation and rest and land, the rest of the land and our hearts comes through the ultimate deliverer who is Jesus Christ. That we in this season, this season of Lent, we put our eyes fixed upon ultimately how he redeems, and that is on the cross. That Jesus is the only one who does not only promise to bring rest to the land, but unlike any of the judges, he says, I can actually do what's your biggest problem, and that I can heal your heart. That I can do, not just change your, your behavior, but I can actually change your soul. That on the cross, Jesus himself went against our ultimate enemy. That's sin and Satan and death. And three days later, God raised him from the dead. That those of us who now trust him and follow him, that he would give us the spirit that would rush upon us, that we may do the most mundane things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? If we, if we understand our ultimate judge... That we don't look to humanity, but we look to God who became a man and whom we can follow in Jesus. There's a few implications we can learn from the life of Samuel. I got a few of them here. The first one here is we got to understand this, that God is at work in the lives of his people from start to finish. Before he was even born, God said, I'm going to do something. And by the end of his life, God had made it happen. That he who begins a good work, that is God, will finish it to completion. You can't look at somebody's life and go, they're far too gone. You can't. They used to be in church without it. You can't. You don't. You're not God. Watch what he does. <laughs> How about we would be more hopeful of that? You know what? God's not done. And not just somebody else's life, your life. Well, we used to, in the church I grew up, we used to sing this song, please be patient with me. Anybody? No. God is not through with me yet. He's not through with us. You guys. Next week, number two, God is present in the midst of our failures. Sometimes when we sin, what we want to do is we want to wait a period of time. Like if I could just go like a month, read my Bible, um, not look at the internet anymore. If I do th then, then I'll go to the Lord. And God's like, he's here already. That as soon as Samuel fails, he gives himself up. He cries out to the Lord and the Lord is present. He's there to give him mercy. We don't have to wait a period of time before we can come to the Lord. He's mighty to save. Number three here is in our weakness, we are made strong. Here's the story of a man whose strength was actually his weakness. And then by the end of his life, his weakness became his greatest strength. That once we acknowledge that we can't, we actually will call upon the Lord that he would do in us what we could not do for ourselves through the work of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, the question that we started with, if God could use Samson, why not you? Right? 
Like, you know, the Bible gives us all these stories, and we think it's about Samson or Gideon. It's not about Gideon. It's, not, it's about God, right? There's, and, and, and it gives us these stories of these people who just make a mess out of their life. And we're like, oh, man, if they're in it, then yeah, I, I can get in, right? There's a few people in the Scripture who are like, if, if that's the standard, we're, we're hoes, right? Like Daniel, Joseph is like, if that's the standard, we, we're not making it. But Samson, if God uses people like Samson, then, oh, please take me. And not just me, take my marriage. And not just my marriage, maybe take my divorce. Or maybe take the situation I'm in. Maybe take my singleness. Lord, whatever it is, can I lay it before you and allow you to use it in a way that would ultimately bless your kingdom? That we have to be able to be people who actually believe that God actually desires good things for his people. That he desires to put all of us in a hall of faith, not because our behavior, but ultimately our trusting in his character and what he does in us when we respond to the greatest gift that we can receive, none other than the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace that's been given to us. We thank you for your mercy and your love. We ask, God, that you would protect us, Lord, from ourselves. You would give us hope, Lord, that would be rooted in the reality of the life and death and resurrection of your son, that you are our true deliverer. And you extend mercy and you extend grace. Help us to respond to it in ways that our lives reflect it. God, we pray for an intimacy with you, not just using you. God, that we would understand, Lord, in our weakness, Lord, and acknowledging it through your, through your grace that we are made strong. Father, we thank you. In Christ's name, amen.